Does worry characterize the way you think about the future? Have you allowed worry to be a regular, routine experience for you? Are your attitudes shaped more by faithful confidence in God and His promises? Or more about the pessimistic doubts that are maybe rooted in a lack of trust in your Father in heaven? We're all somewhere on the spectrum and everyone's different and we're all in this together. But the question is, how do we overcome this or how do we even fight this? How do we even approach this? And I want to draw your attention to the text this morning because Jesus is going to deal with this very issue. If you're, you got your copy of God's Word in front of you, we're in Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to be looking at verse 25 to 34 and we're going to look at Jesus and how He describes worry and how to deal with it. We're going to read the text and we're going to draw out not only what it says, but I'm going to try to give us a plan of attack, an application for each one of us to think through in our own lives and even to enlist ourselves in the battle against anxiety. Because we're all going to face it. We're going to face it in our own hearts. We're going to face it in the hearts of the people we care about. And so we need to know what do we do when worry starts to creep into our lives, when the dark clouds on the horizon start to get closer and we start to fear what the future will be like. What do we do then? Well, Jesus has some thing to say about that. And this is good news. So let's read the text and then we'll dive in and we'll look at what we are to do in response to what Jesus is teaching here. So verse 25, we there? He starts out with this word, therefore. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, of not, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Clearly, as we read this, you can see the point, quite obviously, is that Jesus does not want you to be anxious. Three times, very obviously, he says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. 
Don't be anxious about the things you're going to eat or drink or wear. Don't be anxious. Three different ways Jesus is calling us to freedom from the chains of anxiety. Now, often kings in our fallen world actually like their subjects to be worrying. It's a way they control people. They want them always afraid. They want them always concerned. They want them crippled by anxiety because it gives the person in charge a little more power over them. Jesus is not that kind of king. Jesus is the kind of king who wants all his subjects to enjoy the rest of freedom from worry. He wants all his people to enjoy him, delight in him, enjoy his fatherly affection and his fatherly care. He is concerned about your joy. And so he is calling us this morning, even maybe you in whatever particular and unique worries you may have or you may struggle with, Jesus is inviting you into the life that is free from anxiety. Don't be anxious. I don't think these, this is Jesus scolding his disciples either. I don't think, don't be anxious, you guys. Come on. I think this is Jesus tenderly, lovingly coming alongside to encourage these disciples to say, don't be anxious. There's no reasons that are good enough for you to be anxious when you have a heavenly Father that cares for you. I want you to notice in verse 25. Jesus begins by saying, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. You notice something. It's in the future tense. He's saying, well, the things that we tend to worry about are not the things that are happening right here in our moment necessarily, but often it's the things that we are anticipating are going to happen. Worry is different than other emotions we feel. You know, if we get insulted, we might respond with anger. We feel anger. That's something that's happening in that moment. Something happens to us, we respond with that emotion. Or maybe jealousy. We see someone with something we want, or a life situation we wish we had, and immediately, based on that circumstance, jealousy rises up within our soul. Well, worry is a little different. Worry does not require anything bad necessarily to be happening in the moment. Worry can sneak into the future, smuggle its problems, and bring it back into the present day. Worry is not necessarily based on reality, but it is based on potentiality. It's when we look to the future, we imagine the problems that don't actually yet exist, we bring them back into our world as if they do, and we act accordingly. It's living not in actual reality, it's living in the hypothetical. It's like mirages. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to Yosemite every year, and we used to walk in the dark and the, get the light going, and I was always a little bit farther than what you could see from your flashlight, and it became a little scary out there, and I remember always worrying, what's going to happen when we get to that dark place? And what happened as soon as we got a little bit farther, of course, the flashlight I was holding would illuminate that place as well. And yet this is what worry is like. We're looking ahead and we're projecting our fears into the unknown. And then the moment we get there, we go, oh. But worry steals from the future. It steals your joy now. It's based in not actually things that are happening, but on things we think may happen. And in that sense, it's very close to deception. Because it's not necessarily true, the things that we worry about. They're things that, Maybe could happen, but they're not really true. 
What's the opposite of worry? It would probably be confidence, contentment, fearlessness looking ahead. In Proverbs 31, it's the uh, part where it describes the, the woman who fears the Lord, an excellent chapter for men and women. And you go and read through this, there's this word, this phrase that has stuck out to me throughout the years where he describes the woman who fears the Lord, her confidence, and there's a statement where he says this woman laughs at the days to come. This idea that whatever comes, I am not afraid, I can even laugh at whatever the future holds because I have such confidence in my God. Now, do you want that? I think you do, and I know I do, this ability to be fearless about the future, to laugh at the days to come, the ability to be content with where we are, to not be overly anxious about all the things that have not yet happened. So Jesus is inviting us into this reality. He says, this is what I want for you as a disciple, as one who follows me. What Jesus wants for us, for us as a church, is that we're free from anxiety. That we have such confidence, we laugh at the days to come. And so here's first application. We get at this application by looking at what we just saw. Here's application number one. Resolve to fight anxiety. And this is, this is the application. Resolve to fight anxiety. If Jesus said, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, then I say, all right, King Jesus, then my responsibility is to get to war against whatever anxiety might be creeping up in my heart. Because I intend to worry. And here Jesus is telling me I shouldn't. Okay, so let's get to battle against whatever might be causing that anxiety. Now, sometimes in the Christian life, maybe you know someone who this has happened to, maybe this has been you, sometimes there are sins that you had in your life before Christ that dominated you, and the moment you got saved, that thing just kind of disappeared. Like someone was always worried, concerned about everything. And then the moment they repented of their sins and they trusted in the Lord and they realized who God was, it was that sin wasn't a life-dominating sin anymore and it kind of became part of their past. Sometimes that happens. But more often, when we get saved, yes, our status changed and we're justified by faith and, and God gives us his perfect righteousness. He credits it to us and he adopts us into our, his family. But still, even though he even gives us his spirit, that doesn't mean all our struggles disappear. Isn't it true that even after we get saved, there's a long and sometimes arduous pro progress of growth that is sometimes filled with many setbacks? And so as we're resolving to fight anxiety, we can't just say, hey, read this verse a few times a week and maybe just pray a couple prayers and your fight's going to be over, and you're going to have this thing beaten. Let's not be simplistic. Anxiety can be crippling, and it can be something that you will fight for the rest of your life. But here, Jesus puts out the opportunity, or even the invitation. This doesn't have to be your characteristic. And I think we ought to hear that and say, okay, Jesus, I'm not going to be simplistic about it and imagine that tomorrow I'm never going to worry again, but I'm going to be realistic and I'm going to get to war against the anxiety in my heart. I think maybe the church has been accused of being a little too simplistic about dealing with this. 
A, bit, a little too simplistic. Maybe the church has been accused. Or you, the church doesn't know how to deal with this stuff. The church doesn't know how to deal with anxiety and fear and worry. And maybe that's because we've thought that the Bible was just like a bunch of pills. It's like, oh, you struggle with uh, lust. Okay, well, I got a pill over here. Take this verse. Take it three times a week and make sure you take the whole prescription. And by the end of the prescription, it should be all gone. It should be all right. You shouldn't have that struggle anymore. Oh, you worry? Oh, I got a pill right here. I'll take this verse out. Take this a little bit. Read it. Make sure you pray about it. And, and now listen, I absolutely, and we as a church, absolutely believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. The Scriptures are absolutely sufficient to deal with every man and woman's problems that we could ever face in life. However, we can't be simplistic and think that our problems and our sins and our struggles will just disappear overnight when we just read a Bible verse a few times. Jesus has given us many weapons to fight against these sins. He has given us the Word of God, and we need to hear sermons about this, and we need to memorize verses about this. But He's given also the Spirit of God, and He's given us also the Church of God. And we need people around us to massage into our lives and our thinking obedience to this so that this truth so becomes a conviction that it gives a spine. So if you're a chronic worrier, yeah, you need a sermon on worry, sure. And you do need verses on worry, absolutely. And you also need people around you. You need arms to hold you and lips to speak truth to you and shoulders to bear your burdens with you. You need intercessors to be praying for you. See, the road to recovery from worry is, listen, a fight. Jesus is saying, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, but let's not be simplistic about what that means. We must fight anxiety and we must begin the long journey toward letting this thing be something that doesn't dominate us anymore. And so I ask you this morning, will you resolve to fight this? And if you're not one that's crippled by this, will you resolve to fight the battle for someone else in their life to help them, to be praying for them, to be a listening ear for them, to be someone who speaks the truth in love for them? We must get into the fight. If we don't fit anxiety in our lives, maybe the, the stream of anxiety in your life is just a trickle and you go, ah, it's not that big a deal. Well, next week, maybe it's a downpour. Start fighting today. You say, well, what that would it even look like? Well, it might mean that you are open about the things you're worried about. You tell a brother or sister in Christ some of these things. This doesn't have to be this big spiritual conversation, sit down where we formally talk about our problems, but it should be kind of normal as Christians striving to glorify Christ in a fallen world that we talk about the things that worry us so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be helped. Certainly, it would also include not only telling someone who's your trustworthy friend, but it would mean confessing those worries to God, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So here's our first application as we read this. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. And so our response is, we will resolve to fight anxiety. We will resolve to not be worry warts. We will resolve, we will begin today to deal with this. If that means having a conversation immediately after church with someone, I would say, go for it. And let's be a place in a community where that's 
good that that happens and it's normal that we talk about this stuff. Now he goes on and we get to the second application point here. I think Jesus now wants to help us see where worry comes from. And so our first is resolve to fight anxiety. Here's the second. Recognize the root of anxiety. Now when we moved into our new house down here, um, we got this little flower bed in the front yard. And in this little flower bed, when we first moved in, were these big, kind of ugly-looking plants that were there. And my father-in-law, out of the blue, he does this sometimes, shows up without me knowing, digs that thing out, and plants these beautiful flowers. It was really nice of him. And so, oh, this is great. And so I make sure they're watered, and that's really all I was doing. And then what began to happen is about a week later, after he put those in, these other little sprouts start shooting up everywhere. And it was the same plant as the one that we had pulled out, that big ugly thing that was there in the beginning. And so I go, all right, I got to take these things out. And I just pluck, 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 pluck. And next week, guess what? They're all back. So what's going on here? Pluck, pluck, pluck. Next week, they're all back. And so I go, okay, there's something deeper going on. And I reach in. Turns out there's this whole root system and these big bulbs that I got to reach in. I got to dig out and dig under. And I pull those out. And guess what? Next week, there's more because I didn't get all the, the roots out. These things just keep coming back. And I'm starting to realize if if you're just plucking out the things that you can see on the surface, you're not actually dealing with the issue because they're always going to be coming back. Now, this is the same illustration, or this illustration helps us see what happens with worry. Because what happens with worry, if you only deal with the symptoms and you don't deal with the root, worry will keep coming back into your life. It will always haunt you and you'll never be free from it if all you're trying to do is deal with the symptoms. Giving Tylenol to a cancer patient doesn't help. You need to deal with the root problem. Get to the core And now look at what Jesus says. He's about to say, and we're going to get to this, He's going to say, look at the birds. He's going to say, look at the lilies. He's going to point to these ways that the Father takes care of His children. And then look at the end of verse 30. Let's just read verse 30 in whole. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith? You of little faith. Isn't that interesting that as these disciples are maybe counting the cost of what it would really mean to follow him, and so Jesus begins to address their fears of what, oh, can I really follow Jesus? This is going to be hard. Jesus is saying, hey, don't be anxious. And then he calls them out, and I think it's a very gentle, tender way. He says, oh, you of little faith. I think it's fair to say that from this text we see that one of the roots of anxiety is that we just have a little faith, lack of faith. I think part of our solution is getting to the root and recognizing maybe the reason I'm always so anxious is because I'm just not trusting my father like I should. I have girls in my house all the time that are scared about different things. And we put them to bed at night and we turn the lights off and we have a little nightlight and often they still are afraid. But what if it, walk into their room and I rub their heads and I'm trying to comfort them and trying to put them to sleep and what if even my presence, 
What if even me being in the room with them, what if even me speaking words of my care for them and my love for them, what if they still looked back at me and said, Dad, no, I don't trust that you're able to actually protect me if anything actually happened. I mean, how much would that hurt me? What if their thoughts were, no, Dad's not willing to help me if anything goes wrong? What if their thoughts were, no, Dad's not able to help me if anything goes wrong? I mean, that would hurt me. I think there's part of it in our own walks with the Lord. Could it be that our anxiety and our worry, you know, God has been saying, I love you and I care for you and look at the birds and look at the flowers and everything's taken care of and of course I'm going to take care of you. And could it be that we just don't trust him very much? We don't trust his words when he says that? The bad news of this is there's a faith issue. Jesus draws us out. There's a faith issue when we're anxious. The good news is that we get to the heart of it and now we can confess that to the Lord and he is gracious to help in our time of need. And so we find one root as we dig in and we say, okay, what's the heart of my anxiety? It's probably I'm not trusting the Father as I should, but there's another root. If we see the context, this becomes very clear. Just previously to this section, Jesus told his disciples, don't go for the treasures on earth. They're not going to last. Moth are going to break in. They're going to eat the things. Uh, they're going to get rusty. They're not going to be worth anything anymore. Thieves are going to steal it. Just don't go after that. Don't make that your life's pursuit. Instead, go after the treasures in heaven because those will last and those will bring contentment. That will actually bring you joy going after the treasures in heaven. And then a little bit later, he says, don't try to serve two gods. Don't try to serve God and money. Don't try to do both because you can't. It's impossible. And then he starts talking. Look at with me in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. There it is again. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And then he says this. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And here's what he's getting at. He's saying these Gentiles, these people who don't know the Lord, they're unbelievers. They're seeking after these things. What are they going to eat? What are they going to drink? What are they going to wear? They're, they're the people that he just described in the previous section who are trying to serve money because they're looking for money to answer all life's problems. These are the people who, even this section previous to that, are the ones storing up treasure on earth. And you know what happens when you store up treasure on earth, when you make God your, or money your God, and you seek after all these things and life-oriented all around your stuff, you know what happens? You will not ever be able to escape anxiety. Because if your treasures are on earth, they are always endangered. It would be like taking your life savings and storing it in the field at Heritage Park across the street. Go try to have a nice calm day when your retirement and your savings and all your possessions and all your assets are just sitting in the middle of the field for anyone to take. You going to have a good calm day or are you going to be worried all day that someone might take your stuff? I'll tell you, you'll be worried. And that's what it is when we store up treasures on earth because that stuff will never last. If you have thought that a job promotion and a little more money is going to take away the worries, it won't. If you have thought that a little bit easier life, a little less busyness will take away all the worries, it won't. It won't. If our lives are oriented around getting stuff, 
We're always going to be worried about our stuff because that stuff can get eaten by moths or stolen by thieves or it can just rust out and be worthless. Our stuff will never bring us peace of mind. In fact, the statistics say that there are more suicides in wealthy communities because they have the stuff. They're hoarding the stuff. They love the stuff. And guess what? The stuff doesn't satisfy. And often their lives are filled with worry about keeping the stuff. And it never ends up making them calm or secure. But if you want security, what Jesus is presenting here is that you don't seek those things of the earth, but you live in obedience to your Father seeking treasures in heaven. And if your treasures are in heaven, you are totally secure because the things you treasure most can never be touched by anyone. They're being stored up for you. It's an investment that you will not regret. And so maybe you're anxious because you're not trusting in the Heavenly Father's care for you. Or maybe you're anxious because you're trying to accumulate these earthly treasures and it's not going exactly how you wanted. You're trying to get the money enough to make you feel comfortable. You're trying to get the right job that makes your life more comfortable. You're trying to get that perfect career. You're trying to get to a status. You're trying to get to a certain quality of life. You have the certain meals you want to eat, the certain luxuries you want to enjoy, the certain places you want to travel. And these are the whole orientation of your life is around these types of things. You're always going to be anxious because none of those things are ever certain. And so, you have to identify the source of your worries. It might be helpful later today or sometime this week as you think about this text of Scripture to ask yourself, am I seeking anything? And I'm hoping this thing's going to take away my worries if I just get this thing. And since I'm not getting that or it's not turning out exactly how I thought, I'm worrying. Or are you able to just give up those things to God and say, God, those are in your hands. I'm going to trust you. My treasures are in heaven. Everything I have is taken care of. There's a story about the famous evangelist, John Wesley. And he would preach the gospel to to thousands, and he was a godly man. And one day, he's walking down the road, and a man comes running up to him, clearly just worried and afraid. And he comes up, and he says, John, your house is burned down. It's, It's burned down to the ground. And John Wesley looks at him and just replies, No, it hasn't. The man's like, I saw it, of course. I I, know it burned down. And Wes says, no, it hasn't because I don't own a house. The one I've been living in belongs to the Lord. And if it has burned down, that's just one less responsibility for me to take care of. He says, my house is in heaven. Nothing can touch that. So even his house burning down, it didn't cause him to worry. Why? Because that wasn't his treasure. That wasn't what he was banking his life on. He was banking his life on the treasures that come after this life, the treasures in heaven. And so get to the source of your anxieties. Are you trusting the Father? Ask yourself that. Are you seeking treasures on earth that are driving you crazy? Ask yourself that. Worry will still creep in, but at least now you can sometimes get to the heart of why you're worrying. Now, here's the third application. We're going to see what Jesus tells us, some things that we need to do. Because when worry comes into our lives, listen to this, worry talks to you. Worry is saying things to you all the time. 
You wake up in the morning and your worries are talking to you, right? They're telling you the things that are going to happen today. Things are going to go wrong. Things are going to happen next week. Oh, this is going to happen. This might lead to this. And you start hearing this. So your, your mind is going 100 miles an hour and you can't stop it. Some of you, you try to go to bed at night and your worries are just chattering, right? They're just keeping you up. Sometimes your worries will wake you up in the middle of the night. Hi, I'm still here. And they're talking to you and they're telling you things and they don't want you to go back to sleep. Your worries can haunt you. And they're always giving you messages. And you say, well, what do you do when that happens? I know you've experienced this. This is something, a human, human experience. This is what we all go through. What do you do when your worry begins to talk to you? Here's what Jesus says. I think the way we deal with that is we respond to our worry. Okay? So we're going to resolve to fight. We're going to recognize the source. And here, we're going to respond to the worry. Jesus starts giving us ammunition to fight back against the worry that's creeping in here. Look at what he says. Here's the first response. There's going to be three responses Jesus gives us to the worry that begins to speak to us. Look at verse 25b, kind of the end of verse 25. He says, after he says, I don't want you to be anxious about your life, what you're eating, what you're drinking, your body, what you're wearing. And then he says this, the very end of verse 25. Is not life more than food? Think about that. Is not life more than the food you eat? And the body more than clothing? It's almost as if Jesus just says, these things that you're worrying about, the quality of your life, the quality of your food, the quality of your clothing, the quality of your job, the quality of your career, the quality of your income, isn't there more to life than these things? Isn't there more to life? There is. Is not life more than this stuff? Isn't there something bigger and greater about life than just getting the stuff you want? This is what he's saying. This is, it is bigger than this. It's, it's far bigger than this. Your life, listen, your life is not bound up in the clothes you wear, in the income you have, in the opportunities set before you. That is not the quality of your life. It's not based on that stuff. Life is much bigger than that. The quality of your life is not based on your income, your lifestyle, your career, the amount of countries you travel to, the amount of dollars you spend, the kind of meals you eat. This is not the determinative factor of the quality of a life lived. We live in a universe created by a holy God. A holy God who knows every one of us perfectly who created us, who sees straight into our hearts. We live in a world where this holy God has appointed a day on which He will judge the hearts of men. We believe that the Bible is telling the truth that it says every human will die and after that face judgment. We believe that these eternal realities are solid and true and this is all happening it is real heaven is real hell is real jesus christ and his resurrection are real this stuff happens it's happening it is totally real 
and that this stuff shapes everything about our lives. We believe in the eternal realities and absolute truth. We live in the crossfire of the unseen spiritual realm and the physical realm all around us. Life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than meals and income. This is what Jesus is getting at. There's more to life. And yet, did you live this week as if heaven was real and hell was real and that you have a role to play in the lives of the people all around you? Did you live as if God is real and that God is a father who loves to care for his children? Or did you live as if the only thing that's real are the things you could see, feel, touch? Because if you lived that way, you probably got worried this week. See, our lives sometimes get so caught up in the things we can see, in the comforts of this life, in the luxuries of this life. And I think one of the implications of what Jesus is saying is there's far more that matters. One day, you're going to be lying on a hospital bed. And you're going to be on the porch of eternity. And you're going to be awaiting the moment where God draws you in to meet Him. I'm pretty sure at that moment, you won't care about how fashionable your clothing was, or how big your income was, or how comfortable your life was. As you prepare to meet your God, I think things will be drawn into focus of what really mattered. You will be thinking about, I'm about to meet him. Have I lived my life for him? Have I lived in obedience to him? Have I trusted Christ fully? Have I lived in such a way to draw attention to the glory of God? There's more to life. And so when Jesus begins giving us ammunition to fight our worries, I think the first thing he's telling us to do is tell yourself there's more to life than these things. There's more to life than clothing, income, money. There's more to life than this. Life is more than this. Things matter more than this. My soul and the soul of the people around her matters far more than these things I'm worrying about. It gives us perspective. It's a way to combat your worry and your worry will start to tell you life's all about making sure you get the stuff you need or want. Here's a second way to respond to worry that Jesus gives us. First, respond to your worry by reminding yourself there's more to life than these things. Secondly, listen to this. Worry doesn't help anything. Look at what he says. He says, in which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Anybody able to do that? See, the moment worry begins to come into your life and begins talking to you, you've got to start fighting. You respond, and one of the things you've got to say is, is, this worry will not help me. Worry is not your friend. Worry is not here to help. Worry wants to multiply your difficulties, not take them away. And so maybe something will happen to you today or this week or this month that completely rattles you. It'll happen to all of us eventually. A tragedy, 
a diagnosis, unwanted, unexpected news. What do you do? Listen, Jesus says here, all the worry in the world will not add a single hour to the span of your life. God's already determined the span of your life. All the worry in the world won't add to the span of life or the quality of life of the people around you. Worry doesn't help. Worry does not help you deal with the pressures of this life. Worry has never changed anything. Worry has never made a negative situation turn into a positive situation. And probably most of our experience is that worry does the opposite. It makes a negative situation that much harder. Jesus is saying, your worry is not going to add to your life. It's not going to add to the span of your life. It's not going to add to the quality of your life. If you let your worry just continue to go, will it help you get up in the morning with zeal for the day, with passion for the Lord, with confidence for the future? It won't. In fact, it's a thief. It'll steal those things. It does not equip you to move forward. Worry will not make you more courageous. Worry will not help. And so, as you're dealing with worry, one of the things you have to say is, worry, I see you, you're here, but you don't belong here. You're not going to help me. You're not going to add anything. You're not going to improve anything. You will not make a single moment added to my life. And so as you respond to worry, these are the things you're saying. Here's a third response. Here's maybe the most important one that Jesus is getting at throughout this whole section. Here's our third response to worry. We're responding to it. We're talking back to worry. And here's the third thing we say. God is so good. Just think about that word, or the two words, of how God is described in this section. Heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. He is so good. Look at verse 26. He says, Jesus is out in the open and maybe there's some birds fluttering by and he points up and says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then go to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. See, Jesus begins to say that you see these birds and they're well fed. They're taken care of. And he personalizes it so dramatically that it's almost as if he's envisioning God the Father reaching down into his created world with, I imagine, like a handful of birdseed. And just, here you go, guys. It's like it's coming straight from his hand. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And these flowers that are growing on the hillside, it's like he points those and look how beautiful they are. Even the greatest and richest kings of the world are not as beautiful as these flowers. Who clothed those? It's your Father. And if he clothes birds, and if he takes care of flowers, then of course he will be good to you. Church, friends, do you really believe this? That God is good to you? Always good to you? 
I mean, couldn't we all just gather and just share story after story after story of God's goodness toward us? All day long we could share of the goodness of God. And we do have to admit, right, that even when things are flying toward us, like a freight train coming straight toward us, and, and we get afraid, and, and we get worried, and we want to duck out of the way, or we maybe even cry out to God in anger, when that thing's in the past, and we're looking at it in the rearview mirror, and it's moving the opposite direction, isn't it true that we often rejoice in the way God used that to strengthen our faith and to grow our character? and to teach us to trust Him. God is so good to you. All your life, if you're a Christian, all your life God has been nothing but good to you. All your life He has been nothing but good to you. And if you're a Christian, He's doing good to you right now as you listen to His Word and as you hear these things. It's He's offering you these promises and He's reminding you of His character and He's encouraging you to throw off the shackles of worry. He's doing that for you even right now. And he has promised in this text that each day, every tomorrow, from here into eternal, our eternal days in heaven, he will continue to do nothing but good to you. He will always do good to you. He will every moment of every day for the rest of your life, he has resolved to do good for you. When you cross into eternity, he will shower his immeasurable blessings on you forever. He will always be good do you doubt that or do we forget that i think we do one of the most influential books i ever read it was when i first got started in the ministry um, down in fallbrook and I, I found this i forget how i got it maybe someone recommended it to me it was a little autobiography of a man by the name of george Mueller. and maybe you've read the book it's about 200 or so pages and i began reading it as probably a 22 23 year old and at the beginning, I was kind of bored by it. <laughs> it's a bunch of journal entries, really, is what it is. And he just wrote in his journal some of the things that had happened and what he had been praying for. And as I'm going through that, I'm listening and reading about this man's story. He wanted to start an orphanage uh, so he could share the gospel with children, so he could take care of them and raise them up. And he wanted to do it in such a way that he was dependent on no one's finances. He wanted to only ask God. He wasn't going to ask a single person or a single business to support him financially. All he wanted to do was ask God and see if the Lord allowed it to happen. And so he began praying. And that book is just page after page of him praying and him seeing an answered prayer. And him praying and then maybe him waiting a little bit and then an answered prayer. And him praying, answered prayer. Now you, you get into that in a little bit, you guys, it's kind of boring. It's kind of the same thing happening again and again and again and again. And then you get 200 pages of that and you go, this is life-changing. It changes your life. And you get to the end, you go, how could I not trust this generous God? How could I not trust this all-powerful God who's willing to give good gifts to his children, who wants to care for them? How could I ever doubt that he has only ever wanted my best and the best for his people? Do you keep a journal? <laughs> I started keeping a journal in junior high. Very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. Hope that thing never gets dug up ever. I kept it through the turmoil of my high school days. I kept it through the decisive college years. I tried to figure out what the Lord wanted to do with my life. 
started keeping it in the early years of ministry when there was some difficult times and I began to wonder if I had chosen the right direction for my path of life and the career in ministry. I kept it all the way up. This morning I opened it up, I, I go back and I'm leafing through one of those journals, seeing all the ways that I had struggled with various things and the inward sin and the outward strain and how that journal contains so many of my worries and my fears. And yet the end result of coming through that and looking at those entries is that I have to say that the Lord has done nothing but good to me. Nothing but good to me. All the days of my life, He's been nothing but kind to me. And even the, the times that I was afraid or worried or uncertain about the future and I was afraid, He was so good. He was always doing good things for me. And when I was maybe even frustrated, He was being kind. He was never leaving me. He was always invested. He was a good father. He is a good father. He will always be a good father. And this is the point of what Jesus says. It's one of the reasons we don't have to be anxious is because God is so good. He's so good to you. He was good to you in eternity past. He will be good to you to eternity future. I like what R.C. Sproul said. He said, no matter how much injustice I have received from other people, I have never suffered the slightest injustice from the hand of God. He thinks of you tenderly with affection because He loves you. So you have to ask yourself this question. Do you really think that the future you envision is better than the future God has for you? Is the future you have envisioned for your own life, do you think it's better than what God has for you? See, God has been nothing but good to us. Now, you might be wondering, okay, Eric, Jesus is saying this. Of course Jesus is saying this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus had trusted the Father perfectly. But look at what happened to Jesus. What happened to him? He's talking about God caring for us. Jesus was nailed to a cross in the most shameful way imaginable. A scandal. You say, if I follow Jesus, is that going to be my end too? How can you say that He cares for us so much if the end of even the one who trusted Him most is death on a cross? Well... This is the main thing. This is the whole point of why we're here this morning. Everything is pointing to this reality that God the Son, Jesus Christ, perfectly trusted His Father. And God the Father perfectly loved Him. And God so perfectly loved His people that He didn't only desire your physical well-being, He didn't only want to meet your physical needs, He desired your eternal well-being. And not only your body being cared for, but your soul. He wanted to not only give you food and clothing, but to provide your spiritual food and your spiritual needs. He wanted to provide something that would wash away all your sins. 
He wanted to provide something that would make you able to enter into his presence and be adopted into his family so you could enjoy his fatherly love forever, not just one lifetime. And so the father and the son agreed that the son would go to earth, that he would live the perfect life, that he would die on the cross as if he were the sinner. And that in his death he would take upon all himself all the sins and all the guilt and all the shame of anyone who would ever trust him. And he's treated as a criminal. And he's treated like a castaway. So that we would be treated like sons and daughters. And so Jesus pays for our sins, rises again from the dead on the third day, and ascends into heaven later and offers not only full forgiveness of sins, but he also offers you to be clothed in his perfect righteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel, friends. How much has God been good to you? He has not only met your every physical need, he offers to meet your every spiritual need. He offers to forgive all your sins. Not just some. He offers to clothe you in a perfect righteousness that is yours permanently throughout all eternity. You will be justified before God. You will be reconciled to Him. You will be adopted into His family where you can say, God is my Father and He's committed to care for me throughout all eternity. Christians can say that. And if you're not a Christian, the good news is that could be yours right now freely. That you turning from your own self-righteousness or turning from your own self-trust, admitting you have been guilty, but my loving God wants to clothe me in perfect righteousness and He wants to respond with your guilt with grace and forgive you. So if you haven't come to Christ, come now and trust Him and be forgiven. And know today that your God is your Father now. The final thing we'll end on here is the the final point. In verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Replace, here's our application, replace anxiety with seeking. So all these things we seek after that cause us to worry and cause us to be anxious, Jesus gives an active solution in verse 33. Now here's what you need to do. You need to stop worrying and now seek the kingdom and seek the righteousness. That word seek is a present imperative. It means an ongoing quest, a rigorous pursuit that we're not going to give up on. In reality, what Jesus is suggesting here is that you fight fire with fire. That's what I mean. He's saying, I don't want you to be anxious, but that word seek indicates a a big concern. Uh, For lack of better words, it's a holy anxiety that God is glorified, the kingdom is advanced, and His righteousness is expressed in not only our lives, but in the world. Replace anxiety for the things of the world with anxiety for the things of God. You say, well, what do you mean here? This is what Paul said. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul made it very clear that he was persecuted. He suffered for the gospel again and again and again. And then at the end of this long list of the ways he suffered, he says, on top of all this, 
on top of all this, apart from all these other things, he says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Anxiety. Paul had a holy anxiety. He had a purified anxiety. It's the same anxiety here, seeking the kingdom. Here's a good way to think about how this works. Ministry is medicine. Ministry is medicine for the worrying soul. You want to be free from worry, yes. Resolve to fight, yes. Recognize the root, yes. Start responding to the worry. But also replace it with service to others. With seeking the glory of God. With investing in the lives of other people. And you will find that those who water much are watered much. Those who bless much are blessed much. Those who are ministered or are ministering to are often ministered to. The worrying heart needs an outflow. You're, you're not going to stop worrying altogether. Jesus doesn't say that. Here's what He does. He transforms your worry and says, I want you to be concerned. Even Paul would say, anxious about God, knowing Him, loving Him. I want you to be concerned about God's people, serving them, caring for them, bearing their burdens, advancing the kingdom, advancing righteousness in the world. Ministry is a medicine for you. God doesn't need us to serve Him, but we need to serve. It is so good for us to serve. It is so good for us to seek the kingdom of God. The promise here, he holds out that as we seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness, totally entrusting ourselves to you without earning it as we give our lives and faith to the Father, God promises to add all the things we need to our life, including that perfect righteousness that Jesus has secured for us. It is yours freely. It's yours. And so he says in verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How are you doing on worry? How's your anxiety? Are you going to resolve to fight? I hope we become a church that becomes a confident church, grows more and more confident in the promises of God and the promises of His Word. This doesn't mean things will be easy, both as a church and individually. Jesus is not saying here that the Father is making all lives easy. Sometimes the Father has plans for you that you don't anticipate and never would have wished for. Sometimes the fatherly care and goodness, He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Just like Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd. I want to speak to this point by illustrating it. By using the example of a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. You've probably heard of her. When she was 17 years old, she broke her neck. She was unable to walk, paralyzed from the neck down. Was put in a wheelchair. In the early years of her time in the wheelchair, in her late teens and early 20s, she struggled with fear, anxiety, worry. How is this all going to turn out for me? Typical worries you'd have. My whole life has just been turned upside down. How is it going to work? And through the difficulty of that wheelchair and everything about that situation, she grew more and more into a deeper love and appreciation for her Heavenly Father. And I want to read something she wrote in one of her more recent books. She's older now. 
She says this. She says, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair into heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding His nail-pierced hands. And I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And He will know that I mean it because He knows me. And He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in His sufferings. And I will say, Jesus do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It would have never happened if you had not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. She, she wants that wheelchair in heaven so she can point at it and say to Jesus, thank you. I would have never chosen it for myself, but you being a heavenly father, you gave me this. And I learned that because of that wheelchair, I was able to experience your strength and your grace and your mercy in ways that so many people never do. This kind of confidence, the ability to laugh at the days to come, is given to all God's children as a gift. This is what Jesus is doing. He's calling us to this. It's not something that we get tomorrow morning by just choosing. It's something that's ours, but we need to strive for it, resolve to fight for it, recognizing the root of our worries, responding to our worries with truth, replacing our anxiety with a holy anxiety to serve Him. And by the transforming grace of God, over the span of years and years and years, worry will have less and less a domination over our lives. And friends, one day we will never worry again as the Lord Jesus Christ welcomes us into the perfect rest of heaven. What a day. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you for your fatherly love. We wonder at your goodness. We thank you that you have never done anything but what is good for us. And we pray that we would trust you this week and be free from anxiety. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.